0: Please be seated. Well, good morning again. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. I'm gonna re- we're going to read verses 12 to 30 again. All right, last week we looked at the, the famous story of the, uh, the young woman caught in adultery and, and just saw how the, the light and wonder of Jesus' forgiveness for someone who's caught in sin. And so today what I want to do is look at Jesus as the light of the world from a different perspective, a different angle, uh, which fits in well in this Advent season of light shining in the darkness. So let's read our text and pray. This is God's word. He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And this is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. Uh, let, let's pray. Our Father and our merciful God, we, we ask this morning that you would shine the light of your glory, the light of your presence uh, in our hearts, that, is, that you would lighten our darkness, chasing away the gloom, uh, that you would put, put in our hearts the joy of the gospel, because we know that Because we now see and know that we have Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And so, may your will be done here among us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't know how many of you have uh, started your traditional rewatch of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. (laughs) Right. If you remember the plot of the story, Clark Griswold, all he wants to do is give his family a traditional uh, family Christmas. And Of course, um, reality can often be disappointing, as he found out. <laughs> and, and so I, all the family comes in, and there's just all kinds of chaos, right? His crazy cousin, Eddie, uh, famously, he just he's so annoyed, he just wants to drive him out to the desert and leave him for dead. Um, he's not... Wrestling to get the Christmas lights on, and he gets so frustrated he starts punching Santa decorations in the face. All right, and it's just uh, the chaos ensues. Finally, his wife says to him, Clark, it is Christmas, and everyone is miserable. All right. Such a great Advent line. <laughs> Unaware, of course, on their part, but it's Christmas, and we have misery. Uh, we have trouble, we have darkness. Right, so this morning, what I would do is we meditate on on John eight and Jesus saying, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but have the light of life." All right, we're we're really asking Jesus to do that this morning to shine a light on our miseries in the dark, so that we might rejoice as we understand who He is and why He came. Right, so so I came across this article this morning called "Unwrap" or this week called "Unwrapping God for Christmas." And in it, this psychologist, Roger Bretherton, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but he says, there is a darkness to Christmas that the fairy lights and tinsel can't quite conceal. There's a shadow under the Christmas tree that we'd rather not acknowledge. Maybe it's the memory of happier times, maybe it's the the darkness of an empty chair, or maybe it's just a difficult year full of loss and regret. He writes, it's Christmas, but we still have miseries. And so let's let's take a good look at what Jesus says to us who dwell in deep darkness, as Isaiah said, so that we might rejoice as the prophets told us would happen. Yeah. So point number one, uh, we're all haunted by shadows in the wilderness. And so Jesus, when he says, I am the light of the world, he's, he's uh, downloading in a whole bunch of Old Testament background, a whole bunch of Old Testament stories uh, that, that uh, yeah, he wants and knows that the people he's talking to, the Jews, are, they're thinking about these things. They're remembering. This is the Feast of Tabernacles, the time of year when Israel would look back and see God protected us, provided for us in the wilderness, and he led us to this place, um, the ways we would sing Amazing Grace, you know, your grace has kept me safe thus far, and your grace will lead me home. And because it's the Feast of Tabernacles, what part of the celebration in the temple, if you can imagine, there were these two giant lamps that were lit every evening. right? And every evening they, they would light these candelabras, something like 65 liters of oil were in each lamp. I mean, these are just... Some say the, the lights were as high as the walls of the temple, and so this was enough light to flood the entire temple and, and the area around it, so you just, just imagine in a world without electricity, just how bright this would be. And then once the, the lamps were lit, that's when the, the Jews would start celebrating, they would start the party, so to speak. They would, they would dance with burning torches in their hands, they were singing songs, and and praises, and there'd be Levites playing their harps, there'd be cymbals and trumpets and instruments, and there'd just be this joyful dance until dawn. And they would do that, but the the lanterns were by the treasury. So now where is Jesus when he says, I am the light of the world, in verse 20? (laughs) It's right there in the treasury, in the shadow of this giant lantern, this giant candelabra, probably with the smell of smoke still lingering. Now, the reason they lit these lamps is because of the wilderness background, right? They're remembering, one, God led Israel from slavery in Egypt through the desert, and day by day, he showed that he was with them by the pillar of fire in the darkness, in the cloud by day, right? So they're remembering God and his light was with us everywhere we went. And at the same time, they're remembering the promises of the prophets that someday a great light is going to come and shine and bring light to those dwelling in darkness. What we, what we heard in Isaiah 9 this morning from the Emersons. And so if you just pause, we've got to meditate on the Old Testament background to help us understand what Jesus is claiming to be. What did the light of God's presence do for Israel in the desert? I mean, First thing provided protection, it kept them safe. And because in the, in the initial story, right, they're set free from slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh says, get out after the, the plague of the firstborn son. And eventually Pharaoh has a change of heart and sends his whole army after them. And Israel finds himself pinned between the Red Sea and being chased by death, so to speak, by Pharaoh's army. Right? And this pillar of cloud and the fire... What God does to protect them as they panic before they cross the Red Sea is stand between Israel and their enemies. Right? The fire, the light of God's presence literally protected them from death. Israel was able to sleep that night because they could visibly see God with us while living in the shadow of death that's haunting them, haunting them. And so for... For Israel, light meant protection as they lived in the shadow of death, literally. And Job tells us what that feels like. So here's, here's a good example. Remember Job, uh, the righteous sufferer who had much to complain about as he lost his children, his wealth, his, his possessions, and all he was left with his wife who just, well, let's just say she wasn't encouraging, right? Right? And in chapter 30, Job laments, he says, When I hoped for good, evil came. When I waited for light, darkness came. My inward parts are in turmoil and they're never still. Days of affliction come to meet me. I go about darkened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. I am a brother of jackals and a companion of ostriches. Like the loneliest desert dwellers. My skin turns black and falls from me. My bones burn with heat. My lyre is turned to mourning and my pipe to the voice of those who weep. Right? It's Christmas time and everyone is miserable. We live in the shadow of death. Right? So that's, that's part one of what the light did for Israel. Part two, well, God's present. He was presence with, present with them. <laughs> Get that out. Right. Have you ever seen the TV show Alone? Right. It's this, this con, uh, contest where these crazy people sign up to live as long as they can by themselves in some of the most remote, dangerous parts of the world. Right. And so they have to provide their own clean water, clean food, and, and avoid all the predators without anyone there with them. Right. And so they have times where they're filming themselves at night as there's grizzly bears or mountain lions just kind of walking around there their tent but what that doesn't didn't wear most of them out what wears what gets them to like pick up the phone and say i'm done take me home is the fact that they're alone that that is much more challenging than the physicality of the experience right loneliness that's one of the hardest parts of of the holidays of human existence So if you were to ask your kids, right? okay, we're going to go camp in the woods by yourself. By the way, there's wolves, there's coyotes, there's bears. Just go by yourself. You'll be fine. (laughs) Or you say, well, I'll go with you. Which do you think they're going to choose? Every kid is going to say, I do not want to go through that alone. But if I'm not alone, then I can face the dark. So in a dark and dangerous world, the light specifically... Is, is the comfort of God's presence. Right? That we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, as, as David said, for, for Lord, you are with me. And so Jesus is pulling all that background that I am the light of the world. I am the glory of God who promises to be with his people to protect them from death and to lead them. right? Because that's what the, the pillar of fire did Showing that God was present with them, he led them from the slavery to death, Pharaoh, into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey where God could dwell with them. Right. And the idea was right, God's protection, his provision, his presence that never left Israel in the desert regardless of how, how much unbelief plagued them every step of the journey. The light of God's grace. And so, I'm hoping you can start to hear when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, uh, he, he's claiming to be the very glory of God, your creator, who's promising to be with his people, to protect you from death, and to lead you from this miserable place to the new heavens and new earth, to the, to the promised land. Okay. Now, One of the the ways that I find helpful in in just coming to grips and understanding what that means, because I know it's so easy to say, okay, this is another Christmas season, we're singing the same songs, right? we're lighting candles, and we go through the routines, and just forget what the symbolism means, just the power, right? If The pillar of fire and glory cloud that terrified Israel has come to dwell with us. And so one of the things I find that helps me understand what it means to say I am not alone is, was uh, David Paulson's meditation on what the darkness feels like. What he did is he just wrote the very opposite of Psalm 23. Right? And so this is what it's like if you're on your own. If you don't believe this story, this is life as it is. I am on my own, he writes. No one looks out for me. No one protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle out there. I'm, I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths, but still I insist. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want it but life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, the shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone, no one has my back, no one is really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me, sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough, I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free falling into the void? Sartre said, Hell is other people. I have to add, Hell is also myself. It's a living death, and then I die. Okay. See, to believe the opposite of Jesus' invitation, that He is the light of the world, and whoever follows me will walk in the light of life, if you're going to embrace the opposite, that you are on your own, you have to be honest about what life is. It's you. And yourself, right? Chased by darkness, all the days of your life. Now, right? The prophets foretold a day when that would not be so. <laughs> right? That light would heaven, light from heaven's going to come down and chase away the darkness and allow you to live in light, not the light of His forgiveness, the light of His presence, the light of His protection. One of my favorites is Isaiah two. If you have your Bibles, you can. I would encourage you to turn there and look at it briefly. Right. So Isaiah is looking forward to the future, this great day that's going to come, when God's house, His presence, right. It's going to be established as the highest of the mountains in verse 2. It says it's going to be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations are going to flow to it. Many peoples are going to come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, that is the instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So, tying all this together, right? Isaiah looks forward to this great day, when the nations are going to be attracted to God's light, to the light of his presence, the light of his power, the light of his protection, and even the light of his ways. Right? Teach me how to live, how to be human. Right? It's, a, it's an amazing hope. And if you, you can make the connection in Isaiah 2 that to walk in God's paths is to walk in the light of the Lord. And if you're going to walk in the light of the Lord and keep his paths, It leads you to peace. Fighters are going to be turned into farmers, swords beaten into plowshares. So, that also is in the background of follow me, the light, says Jesus. I am the light of the Lord. Follow me, and I'll teach you how to walk in the light of life. And life comes when you keep God's commandments. So, first point. Every human being, if we're honest, feels the darkness, feels what life is like on your own. And Jesus promises that whoever comes in faith to him will not walk in that darkness, but will have the very light of the Lord, your creator, the very glory cloud of God dwelling with you. So if that's true, here's the invitation. Come, come, come into the light. I come to the light of the world. Right? Come and believe this claim of Jesus that has cosmic significance. Because right? that's the first thing he's claiming here. He's, he's saying, I am the very presence of the Lord. I am that cloud of fire that comes to show everyone that I, the Lord is with them. I mean, Jesus is claiming to be the God who protects his people, who prote- promises to never leave you alone and to walk with you in the valley of the shadow of death. He's not just ahead of you, he walks alongside you. Right. No religion, no founder of any religion talks like this. And the other founders of the religion do say, if you do the right thing, then your light will shine, and then you can chase away temporarily the darkness that you're chasing inside. Right. But Jesus says, I am the Lord, I am the center of the universe, I am the very sun itself, light of light, very God of very God, as we sing. I am the, the fire that when the glory of God would come down in the Old Testament, all of Israel would say, no, thank you, <laughs> right? They would collapse in fear and fall on their face. Uh, when the glory cloud would come down on the temple, on the tabernacle, no one would be allowed in because God's glory was dangerous because there were moral failures. And who can dwell in the presence of a holy God? But here we see Jesus in the shadow of those giant lanterns, remembering all that story, saying, I have come to make God's presence safe for you. I will be with you. Right? Second, Jesus is saying, "Right, not only as the light of the world, I am the, the divine lawgiver. I'm the one who's going to teach you how to be human how to walk in light, to walk on those paths. Right? I'm the one that the nations are going to be drawn to and say, teach me. Meaning it's not just for the Jews. This is, this is good news announced to the whole world. Right? No more stumbling in the dark, unsure of how to live or why we should live this way. No, Jesus said, love me, love the Lord with all my heart, soul, st- heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor. And this fulfills the law. going to teach you how to live. I mean, this is a big claim. He's not just claiming to be God himself. He's also saying, I am the one who has the right to tell you what to do. That, that if the, the word of the Lord is a light unto our path, a uh, light unto our feet and a path, no, I'm butchering it. You get the idea. It's a light for our feet. <laughs> right? He's saying, I am that path, and I am the one who's going to show you that path and command you on how to walk that path. He's also going to guide you and lead you to the promised land, this place where sorrow and sighing flee, where, where death will be no more. Right. C.S. Lewis puts this beautifully in The Weight of Glory. Right? He says, If you take the imagery of Scripture seriously, if we believe that God will one day give us the morning star and cause us to put on the very splendor of the sun, right? At present, we are on the outside of the world on the wrong side of the door. We, we want that. Right? We discern the freshness and purity of morning. We love a beautiful sunrise is what he's talking about. They make us fresh and pure. But that splendor, that light seems so far away. We can't mingle with it. But he says, all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in and we will put on the very splendor of the sun the light of the world will be ours. See, part of what Jesus is claiming here, if you're going to believe him, he promises to clothe you with his splendor. Because you're going to walk in light. It's not your light, it's his light. The splendor of the sun. You get a taste of that right now when you have his presence. So how do you get into the light? I mean, that's the question really for Christmas. How do we escape the dark? And that's where John 8 goes, is Jesus is just having this argument where he makes these massive claims and the Pharisees say, yeah, you're not telling the truth, you're just making that stuff up. And he says, well, I'm from heaven, I should know, and my father testifies about me. And he says, the way you're going to know that I am telling the truth, the way you're going to know that I am the light of the world, I am he, is to kill me. Verse 28. Lift up the Son of Man. It's that language of lifting him up on the cross to crucify him, to bury him in death. And that if you're to, to look at the cross, you're going to see Jesus experiencing all the darkness and misery of being human as well as the loss of the light of God's face. Cosmic loneliness. You know, the psalm 88, it's the darkest psalm, right? If you, you, Don't read this on Christmas Day, <laughs> right? But it starts out as, um, it's just a psalm of lament from beginning to end. And, you know, God, where are you? I, where's your face? I can't feel your presence. And the last line is darkness has become my only companion, my friends have betrayed me, they left me alone, God, where are you? So Tim Keller describes Jesus' claim here in in verse 28, he says, it's like this, Jesus is saying something like, if you want to see that I am the light of the world, if you want to see my light, just kill me. And when you kill me, there's going to be such an explosion of light into the truth, into the world, that it's either going to kill you or protect you. Those are your only two options, right? That light is either going to burn you up as you run away from the God who is or you're going to be kept safe by his presence, And so you think about it this way. Jesus is either going to protect you from the glory of God, bathing you in the light of his presence, his forgiveness, this gift of eternal life. Jesus died in darkness so that you could be forgiven so that he could dwell with you. That's you know, what we're saying. He will disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows will be put to flight. That's the gift Jesus gives. He will protect you from your, yourself and from death. Or the other option is to not believe him, to, to take the path of the Pharisees and say, I don't think he's telling the truth, but if you reject the light, well, David Paulson, you're on your own, and Jesus says, "If you're on your own, you're going to die in your sins. You're going to dwell in darkness." And you know, to quote Lewis from Narnia, "Your whole life will be—it's always winter and never Christmas. It's a gloomy existence." Now, Jesus says, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." This is a phenomenal invitation to come and believe. So that's, that's my question for you this morning. Will you, All those miseries we meditated on, I know we, you have them. That's why pastors are here to, to, to point you to the light. Right? Will you believe Jesus' testimony and bring your, your misery and your darkness into the light and let him protect you? And what will the effect be? Right? Okay, this, is, this is who Jesus is. If you believe him, you have that light. And now he says, follow me, right? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but walk in the light of life. And, and so this is what we've seen. He's, he's going to be your protector and guide in this dark world. And then lastly, as you walk in the light of life, he's going to show you how to live. You now carry that light, so to speak, Right? So think about it this way, you know, as we're haunted by shadows and Jesus is the very light of God's presence and power, if you're going to keep using your Old Testament imagination, you're supposed to follow Jesus the way Israel followed the cloud of fire by night and pillar by day, as if your very life depended on it, knowing that you're not alone. That's the heart of the Christmas message. It's the heart of the Bible. It's the heartbeat. That's what the heart of the covenant is. Right. That the Lord may be your God, and you, you may be his people, and he may dwell with you. Emmanuel. Right. So Christmas says, yes, you are being chased by death's dark shadows. Yes, we grieve sickness. We grieve weakness. We have poverty. We have loneliness. We have all kinds of sadness with Christ you never go through that alone because you have the very light of life Emmanuel God with us do you look for the light when you feel alone like look for Jesus John picks up on this language actually in Revelation when he's writing to a a suffering church People have just been beaten up by their neighbors for believing in Jesus. And he gets this vision of Jesus, and John says, I turned to see the voice that's speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze. And his voice was like the roar of many waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was shining like the sun in full strength. Right. It's an apocalyptic imagery that wants to see. I want you to see Jesus as this bright shining light. But where is Jesus with his face shining like the sun? In the midst of the lampstands with his church. So that's, that's the highlight of Christmas, that a Christian, over and over again, we're told, you're not alone in the dark. You have the pillar of fire, the cloud, walking with you. Well, what will be the transforming effect if you actually believe this? Well, the other parts of the scripture pick, pick this up. And say, so not only is Jesus the light of the world, guess what? If you, if you walk in the light of life, all of Jesus' followers are now can be called the light of the world. It's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Right. That we shine when we have God with us. Because when we have God with us, we have the power and help to keep his commandments. And as we keep his commandments, we shine the light of Christ. Because when you obey God's commandments, you're going to look like Jesus who kept God's commandments perfectly for you because we couldn't do it. So, a couple, couple last points here as we bring this to a close. Right, we're, we're, when you suffer, you know, when dark clouds come into your life, when Clark Griswold-like dysfunction hits your family, one of the ways we shine as the light of the world is, do you live like you have fellowship with, with the light? Do you, does it look like you have fellowship with Jesus? Or are you willing to keep his commandments when life gets hard? I mean, that's part of, that's part of what Isaiah 2 says is going to happen, is you're going to come up to the Lord in his light and say, come, let us learn his ways and walk in the light of his presence. So, right, does it look like you've prayed about it? Does it look like you're confident that one day death will be undone? That one day he really is leading you to a place where sorrow and suffering will will flee? That's the future in heaven, when there will be no sun, Jesus himself will be our light, and no more selfishness, right? Second, our, our call, if, if we're going to walk in the light of life, as is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but he gives light to all in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. I mean, Jesus has the audacity to say to his disciples, uh, You know, if you know the story of the Bible, his disciples don't really give you confidence before the resurrection (laughs) at their ability. He says, no, my people, my church, they're going to shine the light of God's presence in the world by the way they live. And it's going to be attractive to our neighbors in such a way where they're going to see what the church does and say, give glory to God in heaven likely means that they're going to be persuaded to, to come into the light with you because the only people who give glory to God are people who know the Father. So in other words, if you're going to walk in the light of Jesus, it's to live in such a way that we surprise a dark world. We, we, be, we live attractive lives. Now how do you do that? Well, that's the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Right? You, you think the Bible matters, so you, you seek to do what God says. You take your anger seriously, because you realize that's the seed of murder. I mean, imagine a community where people aren't lusting after another, one another, right? trying to use each other for selfish reasons. I mean, imagine holding up faithfulness to such an ideal where, where divorce just becomes rare. Or imagine telling the truth. And to the point where you can be in a community where yes means yes and no means no. Returning the other cheek when somebody did something evil to you. Loving and praying for your enemies. Even just a brief moment of doing that will surprise people. And if if they see that light shining in you, it's not your light, that's Jesus' light. It's a gift. May they give thanks to God for you. All right. So, let's keep it, keep it simple. All right. Here's how you get the light. Trust in Jesus. Now, you know how Charles Spurgeon, the famous Baptist pastor, became a Christian? He showed up to, to church one day in the winter, and it was such a snowy day that uh, the past, even the pastor couldn't get to church. Right, and so there was a poor elder who got called on. <laughs> it, was, it was just the elder preaching and one other dude in church and Charles. And so, you know, it's a very specific application time. So the elder gets up there and he reads from Isaiah and, and reads God saying, look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. And just, it's not an eloquent speaker. He just says over and over again, look, look at the Lord, believe. And... And that was the gist of it. You don't have to do anything to become a Christian other than looking at the Lord, looking to him for help. It's so simple, a child can do it. And then when it came to application time, right, he looked at Charles and says, I see you are miserable. And you're going to stay miserable in life and death until you obey this text. Young man, look to Jesus and be saved. You have nothing to do, but but look at the light of the world and trust his work for you. So go and do likewise. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that you sent Christ to shine a light in our darkness. And and I do pray for all of us here. We all have specific miseries, whether it's self-inflicted from our guilt and our shame, or just being ambushed by life in a fallen world. I pray that you would shine the light of your smiling face on them in Christ Jesus. That you would bless them, keep them, and be gracious to them and give them your peace. Uh, if there are those here who do not yet know. I, I pray for all of us that we would look to Christ and trust him, for he is with us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and see.